From the stuff your mother never told you to the stuff your doctor never learned, On Health is what happens when a midwife plus a Yale-trained MD shares about all things women's health, from periods to menopause, sex to reproductive health politics, motherhood to mental health. Join me for taboo-busting conversations that demystify and destigmatize our bodies, all while bridging the gap between conventional medicine and wellness. Along the way, we'll be exploring the science and wisdom of how our bodies work, what makes us well, what gets in the way, and how we can live our best lives on our terms. When it comes to women's health and well-being, there's nothing we won't talk about. The new medicine for women is here. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, this is Dr. Aviva. Hi, Dr. Aviva Ram. My teenage daughter is struggling with painful periods. So my question is, how do I help her? What herbs can I give her? What nutrition should we focus on? Things like that that would help her with her painful periods. Thank you. Hello, anonymous good mama. Thank you for calling in with a question that I'm sure so many mamas have and which some of my teen listeners may also be interested in. And yes, I do have teen listeners, which is so exciting. One of my teen followers from a decade ago recently wrote to tell me she has been so inspired by my work that she's getting her dual degrees in midwifery and public health, which I just love hearing. So let's take it from the top, understanding period pain in teens and what it means for your health now and what you can do for yourself. Period pain is known medically as dysmenorrhea. It's so common that we've been led to believe that it's simply normal with it just being rote to pop a couple of ibuprofen through those period pain days and keep on keeping on. It's also normal, and I'm doing that with air quotes, to have to call in a sick day, whether that be at a school, work, or a sports or social event. And while this might seem like no big deal, when we look at the data, it actually is. Not only does period pain have a health impact, but these misses can impact ourselves as women economically, socially, and in our careers. Period pain is certainly common. As many as 50 to 90% of teens and young women experience it, and as many as 15 to 75% still experience it as adults. Severe pain is experienced by 2 to 29% of women with dysmenorrhea. But I want to emphasize something that I consider extremely important. Common and normal aren't the same thing. And this is part of what I'll cover in this episode along with just how much pain is actually normal, when to explore further, and what you can do for your teen or for yourself if you are a teen listening. And if you are, I'm giving you a standing ovation for being here, learning about your body and cycle, and learning how to take care of yourself from a whole woman integrative perspective. In my book, Hormone Intelligence, I discuss the importance of seeing our menstrual cycles as a sixth vital sign. Like the other five vital signs, temperature, blood pressure, heart rate, respiratory rate, and pain, it can give us important information about our underlying health and also the factors impacting our health. In 2006, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and then a little bit later on, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists published a report recognizing menstruation in girls and adolescents as a sixth vital sign 
they noted that it was important for healthcare providers to be able to differentiate between normal and abnormal menstruation because recognizing abnormal menstrual patterns during the teen years could help improve early identification of potential health concerns. Unfortunately, this paper, exceedingly important and acknowledging the importance of menstrual health, went largely unnoticed by pediatricians, gynecologists, and family physicians, the doctors who primarily take care of teens and young women. Interestingly, they also didn't mention pain at all in their discussion, which speaks to how normalized menstrual cramps and menstrual pain are. When they refer to improving early identification of health concerns, they're referring to common underlying causes of pain, which we'll also explore together today, like PCOS and endometriosis. But they don't ask the more penetrating and critical question, what are the underlying causes of those? We'll explore that today also. It's true that some discomfort with menstruation is within the range of normal. Your uterus, and if you aren't familiar with female body parts, please head over to my podcast, Let Me Introduce You to Your Lady Parts, has some work to do to expel the uterine lining that has built up since your last period. That lining is what comes out as menstrual blood. And this includes breaking down that lining, which comes along with some increased production of inflammatory chemicals and contractions that rhythmically push out that lining. The cramping, aching, and discomfort that results is called primary dysmenorrhea. Dysmenorrhea literally means difficult monthly flow. It usually begins in adolescence once menstrual cycles start to involve ovulation, which is usually within 6 to 12 months of a young woman having her first period. One of the hallmarks of primary dysmenorrhea is that the discomfort begins right around when your period starts, or sometimes the day before, and it feels achy or crampy. It usually resolves after the first day or so of your period, though it may last for as long as three days. By definition, primary dysmenorrhea is not caused by any underlying medical issues and is almost always due to the production of inflammatory chemicals called prostaglandins, although there's some evidence that another set of chemicals called vasopressins may also be involved. Our body naturally ramps up production of these chemicals premenstrually as part of that process of breaking down and shedding the uterine lining. Primary dysmenorrhea may cause more significant discomfort if you tend to overproduce these inflammatory chemicals, which can happen for a variety of reasons. We'll get into some of the root causes that are under our control later on. Notice that until now, I've been saying discomfort over pain. Because that's where I really draw the line between normal primary dysmenorrhea and crossing the line into the realm of pain, which I consider to be an important differentiating point to begin to explore underlying causes. It may be normal to have some mild cramping and some aching, but if you're having pain, actually painful periods, that's when we need to start thinking about something more going on. And that may be increased inflammation or it may be an underlying medical cause. When severe, period pain may also be accompanied by nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, backache, headache, or dizziness. By medical definition, this is still considered normal primary dysmenorrhea. And while I don't want to over-pathologize a normal physiologic process, again, this is where I feel we cross the line from common being accepted as normal and needing to rethink periods as a sixth vital sign. In short, we should never accept severe menstrual pain or debilitating symptoms that accompany menstruation 
as normal. Conventional medicine does recognize a condition known as secondary dysmenorrhea. This is when menstrual pain is due to an underlying medical condition, most commonly endometriosis, adenomyosis, or heavy periods. And heavy periods require the uterus to contract more and produce more inflammatory chemicals to break it down. And that may be due to high levels of estrogen production due to a variety of environmental exposures, diet, and other factors, or long menstrual cycles that are typically longer than like 35 days, which can be due to a condition called PCOS or polycystic ovary syndrome. The first step to help address your daughter's pain is figuring out if it's primary or secondary dysmenorrhea. Unfortunately, there's no pain score that says, this is when you call it primary dysmenorrhea, and this is when it's so bad that it's not normal and you should look into possible underlying causes. But I have three main criteria or questions that your daughter can ask herself or you can ask her to help her differentiate between the two. And these are, are you bent over in pain with your periods? Are you having to take medications to cope with the pain in your daily menstrual life when you're having a period or other times? And are you having to change your regular activities due to the pain? While many of us may not particularly feel like doing everything we normally do on the first day of our bleed, that's different than if you're having to stop because you're in so much discomfort. If you or your daughter is checking any of those boxes, it may still be primary dysmenorrhea, but with more significant inflammation, and that inflammation needs to be addressed to help reduce these significant symptoms. But it's also worth getting evaluated for other potential causes in a non-invasive way, because the earlier you catch an underlying condition like endometriosis or PCOS, the more likely you are to prevent secondary problems like scarring and adhesions associated with endometriosis, which until recently was not thought to occur in teens, but we now know it does. And we now know it's one of the overlooked conditions contributing to moderate to severe menstrual pain. And we also want to address the underlying symptoms of PCOS, which can lead to irregular or heavy periods and can also lead to symptoms of androgenization like cystic acne, hair loss and hair in unwanted places, weight gain, binge eating. And also both of these conditions can be associated with depression and other mental health symptoms that can really affect our health immediately and in the long run. Another sign that it could be secondary dysmenorrhea is that you're having pain at other times in your cycle, not just during your period. While secondary dysmenorrhea may occur only around your period, it can occur throughout the month. And it might be accompanied by symptoms like constipation or pain with bowel movements, urinary problems, or if you're sexually active, pain with sex. Secondary dysmenorrhea also tends to get worse, not better with age. One more clue to period pain possibly being something more is if you, the mom, experience your own period pain moderately or severely and possibly subsequently experienced additional gynecologic or obstetric symptoms or conditions, for example, challenges with fertility, or you were put on the pill young for problems like acne or severe menstrual pain. And these are all the more important indications that for your daughter, it may be important to investigate further. And if you're a teen listening to this, 
it's a really important time to have these conversations if you can with your mom to see if she had symptoms that you just weren't aware of because maybe it wasn't talked about in your home. If yours or your daughter's menstrual pain doesn't seem to be due to an underlying condition, that doesn't mean it should just be accepted. Too often, primary dysmenorrhea in teens is treated as normal and inevitable. It's true that during the first two to five years after menstruation begins, it takes some time for hormones to settle into regular rhythms. And during that time, it's normal to have some irregular cycles, skip periods, hormonal ups and downs, occasional mild acne, and maybe sometimes even some more painful cramps. And yes, for some teens, primary dysmenorrhea improves over time. But regardless of whether it's primary or secondary, menstrual pain that interferes with your ability to live a full life should always be taken seriously, and period pain should never be dismissed. One of my young listeners brought to my attention just how often period pain is dismissed by classroom and gym teachers or sports coaches, and even by their own moms. We need to believe in our girls starting at a young age and also not simply let the pill be the solution. And while it may sometimes be the answer, too often it's the automatic default prescription. And as I'll share with you, not necessarily the best one. Primary dysmenorrhea can often be successfully treated or reduced, while secondary causes can also successfully be treated with a variety of lifestyle, integrative, and when necessary, pharmaceutical approaches as appropriate to your daughter's level of symptoms and her preferences and goals. In addition to trying these treatments to relieve symptoms, you may want to get at the root causes of the chronic inflammation that often contribute to primary dysmenorrhea. One of the major sources of inflammation that can wreak havoc on our periods is our diet. Another source that deserves attention is endocrine-disrupting chemicals, environmental toxins that, among other damaging effects, mimic our own estrogen. This makes the lining of your uterus thicker between periods than it's supposed to be, and a thicker lining, as I've shared with you, can mean a lot more cramping and pain when it sheds during your period every month. Another big source of chronic inflammation is the processed foods, added sugars, and poor quality oils in many of our diets. In my previous podcast, which you can link over to at the article associated with this episode, which is called On Period Pains in Teens, A Sixth Vital Sign, I offer a number of tips for addressing the common root causes of inflammation. These include eating a low inflammatory Mediterranean style diet. Higher intakes of fiber, fruits, and vegetables have been associated with reduced risk of primary dysmenorrhea as well as reduced risk of conditions like endometriosis and PCOS. You want to aim for eight servings of a rainbow of veggies and fruits daily, which contain key phytonutrients that we need to protect our bodies from environmental toxins, keep our liver in really good health, which helps us to process and detoxify both our own naturally produced estrogens and the ones that we're exposed to, and to get plenty of good quality fiber and fermented veggies to help support a healthy microbiome and healthy elimination, which is also important for healthy hormones and healthy menstrual cycles. And you can do that all by eating a low inflammatory Mediterranean style diet. 
it's also really important to note that some of the things that teenagers do all the time, which is dieting to lose weight, and even slim teenagers do this, skipping meals and eating a diet that's low in antioxidants, but often high in pro-inflammatory foods like inflammatory fats and things like fries and pizza has been associated with greater risk of menstrual pain. So really working with your teen to understand that dieting, skipping meals, first of all, those aren't the healthiest ways to have a healthy weight. Also helping them to embrace their own body shape and their own healthy variations in size and, you know, really learning to love their bodies as they are, but also teaching them how to eat a healthful diet. And again, that low inflammatory Mediterranean style diet can be really simple and really relatable to them and works if they're vegan, works if they're vegetarian, but includes a good quality protein, healthy veggies, and good quality fats like avocado and olive oil and nuts and seeds with meals and snacks. Whenever possible, if you can get them to choose organic, that also helps them to reduce their exposure to herbicides and pesticides, which act as potent endocrine disrupting chemicals. If you're on a tight budget, check out the environmental working groups Dirty Dozen and Clean 15 to determine which produce are most important to eat organic. Teaching our teens to reduce their body burden of toxic environmental disrupting chemicals is also really important. And common sources of these include plastic food packaging, flame retardant treated clothing and household furnishings, household cleaners, paints, stains, but also importantly for our teenagers, cosmetics and body products like lotions, sunscreens, shampoo, conditioner, and so much more. So work with them to browse online sources like Credo for great cosmetics that are also more environmentally friendly, but also lower in some of these endocrine disrupting chemicals that really studies show do have an impact on our hormones and our menstrual cycles. One of the things that you can also use is the environmental working group not only has the clean 15 dirty dozen, but has something called skin deep. And you can sit there with your teen daughters and look at their cosmetics and search their thousands and thousands of products on skin deep. And they give you an easy one to 10 rating system that your daughters can look at and go, wow, all of my cosmetics, like my dark colored lipsticks from these conventional companies are a seven, eight, nine, ten 10 for their impact on hormones, impact on cancer, and then help them find ones that they really love that are ones and twos and threes and fours, much lower risk. And look, it doesn't always have to be more expensive to get these products. There are a lot of products that are available from Credo, from Beauty Counter, from the Detox Shop and other places, even Whole Foods that are within a reasonable budget. But I will say that it is a pay now or pay later situation. And I do feel like if we're going to invest in our daughters, though, we can invest in the latest iPhone or the latest really expensive shoes, or we can teach them to budget on their health. And that does mean including things like organics and healthier cosmetics that they prioritize. And you can also learn to help them prioritize which ones are more important to invest in. So things that you're going to put all over your body, like your soap or your lotion, or that you're going to use as foundation, for example, versus maybe mascara, because you're not absorbing as much through your eyelashes as you are through your lipstick. And what's incredible is when you look at the lipsticks, for example, 
Some of these lipsticks with the darker colors, the darker pigments are some of the highest contaminated products that we're using. And we apply those multiple times a day. We're actually eating up to more than a pound of lipstick just by licking it off of our lips as, you know, we bite our lower lip and do all the things that we do throughout the day unconsciously that increase our exposure. There are also some lifestyle measures that we can use to reduce menstrual pain. And all the things I'm sharing with you for your teens, mamas, if you're listening and you're experiencing menstrual pain or other hormonal symptoms, you can do these too. And you can do them with your daughter and make this a lifestyle, something that you really share. And some of these are things that are preventative, like yoga can both relieve menstrual cramps, but doing it regularly can also help to prevent by improving pelvic circulation. But there are specific asanas or poses that you can use to relieve menstrual cramps, like cat and cow is one of those. Low-level heat from a heating pad or hot water bottle applied over the lower belly their lower back is a wonderful comfort measure. And believe it or not, many women find relief from switching from tampons to using pads. And it's unclear why there may be greater pelvic pressure or discomfort. And it's even with organic tampons to pads. So that's something you might mention to your daughters, even if they're wanting to wear tampons during the day while they're at school because they're more convenient and more comfortable during sports, etc. They can wear pads overnight instead of sleeping in a tampon. There are also supplements and herbs that can be used to reduce period pain. And when it comes to our teenage daughters, by the time they're hitting menstruation, usually particularly if they're 12 and older, the dosing is really the same as it is for adults. Now, first-line conventional therapy for treating primary dysmenorrhea and even secondary dysmenorrhea is NSAIDs, like ibuprofen, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, which are really effective in relieving period pain as well as reducing heavy menstrual bleeding. But they do have some risks, like they can affect our gut and lead to leaky gut when we use them over time. And they can also cause stomach bleeds. And long-term use has actually been found to increase problems with fertility. But Using them a few days a month, I really don't consider to be a significant problem. So while I don't prefer to have young women taking NSAIDs chronically each month, I prefer them to getting to the root causes of what's creating their menstrual pain. I do say, look, if you have a final exam or a test that day or a sports event, the herbs might not cut it for you or you might need something for spot relief like right now. Using ibuprofen can be phenomenal and totally effective. So that's a great go-to to have. And birth control pills are also really commonly prescribed. But as I mentioned earlier, interestingly, they're actually not as effective for pain relief as NSAIDs, and they do carry much more risk. If your daughter is going to use NSAIDs, I consider them to be generally safe and effective for used when just a couple or a few days a month. And for best results, start at the first hint of cramps. So they're more effective when we use them sort of at the very beginning of the menstrual cramps than when we try to catch up with them after. But as I've described in a previous podcast that dives deep into treating menstrual cramps, I do recommend trying nutritional and botanical approaches first and actually really trying them always because these medications aren't really a long-term solution. They're nipping the pain in the bud, but they're not actually getting to the underlying causes. So for getting to the underlying causes, again, working with diet, 
working with reducing inflammation are really the key ways to go and reducing those endocrine disruptors, which can cause inflammation, but also directly affect hormones. But there are some things that you can do both preventatively and also for menstrual pain when it comes on. And one of the things I love is a trio of vital nutrients, calcium, magnesium, and vitamin D. And I often also add fish oil or krill oil to that combination. And so for my girls in my practice, my young women in my practice who are having period pain, especially if it's moderate to severe, I put them on a three-month protocol that includes those four key supplements. And uh, when it comes to calcium, two studies have explored the impact of calcium supplementation on PMS in general. And period pain falls into the constellation of PMS. We tend to think of PMS as mood issues or breast swelling and tenderness, but menstrual discomfort falls into that rubric. One study showed just marginal improvement, but the other studies showed more significant benefits. And a typical dose is adding 600 milligrams a day of calcium citrate. You can use other forms of calcium too, but citrate I find the most absorbable. And you can either use that as a supplement daily throughout the entire month, or your daughter can just start taking it in the five days prior to the onset of menstruation if she already has regular menstrual cycles and then just continuing it for the first couple of days into her period. Two studies also found that 500 units of vitamin E per day or 200 units twice per day, beginning two days before the onset of the period and continuing through the first three days of bleeding also helped to reduce period pain. Several small studies have found that getting enough vitamin D can improve menstrual pain. Typically, for most of us, that means adding about 2,000 units of vitamin D daily to the diet, vitamin D3 as a supplement. And you can also have your daughter's healthcare provider check her levels to help her supplement to hit the optimal level or range, which is about 40 to 70 nanograms per milliliter. So you'd want to look on the reference range when you get the lab report back. Some young women may need about 4,000 units of vitamin D3 daily for a couple of months to get up to that level and then stay on that 2,000 units daily to keep that level up. And then finally, fish oil, as I mentioned, it may help prevent inflammation. And one way that she can do this is simply adding oil-rich salmon to the diet. So getting four to six ounces of salmon two to three times a week. But a lot of teenagers aren't going to get that much, and also it can be costly. So another way to do that is to simply supplement with omega-3 fats. And you want to get about 1,000 milligrams of EPA and 700 milligrams of DHA in a supplement. And most supplements will contain both of those and give you the ratio on the package. A small number of studies have found that krill oil, which is a form of fish oil, may be especially helpful. So that's another way to kind of focus in but really any fish oil is probably fine. And I mentioned magnesium. Three studies have found that supplementing magnesium, a nutrient that most women in the U.S. have been found to be low in on studies, can reduce menstrual cramps, though it's important to state that these were small trials with inconsistent designs and a high rate of people dropping out of the studies. But I recommend increasing up to about 600 milligrams a day of magnesium glycinate starting about five days before the period and continuing throughout the month at about 300 milligrams a day. So again, you can take these every day, 
But with any of these, like the calcium, the vitamin E, the vitamin D, the fish oil, and the magnesium, you can bump those up premenstrually. There are also a wide variety of herbs that have been used for relieving menstrual cramps. And my two favorites that I use in my practice are ginger root and cramp bark. But I want to share two that have the best studies, and those are actually ginger root and cinnamon. Ginger is widely respected for its anti-inflammatory and pain-relieving effects, and several studies show impressive results for menstrual cramps and pain. The effective dose is 500 to 2,000 milligrams a day, and I tend to lean into about 1,000 milligrams twice a day for optimal pain relief. And you don't have to, again, remember all these doses. They're all over at my website. Just go to my website and search for period pain in teens. You'll find the article corresponding with this podcast. Cinnamon has also been found to be effective for reducing pain, as well as heavy menstrual bleeding, nausea, and vomiting that is associated with dysmenorrhea. And ginger is also effective for reducing the nausea and vomiting that may be associated, and also some of those premenstrual aches and pains. The dose of cinnamon in uh, the most impressive study was 420 milligrams of cinnamon bark taken in capsules with two capsules taken three times a day for the first three days of the period. I mentioned cramp bark, which can be taken in capsules or tincture. Another herb that's similar to cramp bark is called black haw, H-A-W, haw, just means a fruit, motherwort, and black cohosh. And there are a number of different products online that you can find. You can find some of these over at my formulary over at my website that is through Fullscript. And you can also check out my previous podcast on menstrual cramps for more information and dosage guidelines on those particular herbs. I also talk about those at length in my book, Hormone Intelligence. Another herb that I've seen work really well for period pain is cannabis. And I have a whole podcast exploring the evidence and dosing for using cannabis for menstrual pain relief. So what do I think about cannabis use for teens? Well, I'm not a fan of teenagers smoking it, sorry girls, for pain relief because I don't believe that the psychoactive effects are optimal for your still developing brains. And for some teenagers, it may precipitate mental health problems, especially if you're already struggling with anxiety or depression. If you're in a state where it's legal, I do think it's reasonable for teens to try a non-psychoactive CBD gummy or tincture and you can take this before bed or on non-school days or non-work days. And you can inquire at a local dispensary to ensure that you're getting a product that isn't psychoactive. Just go in there, tell them what you need it for or your daughter needs it for, and somebody will help you find that product that works for you that isn't going to send you off into a high that isn't going to allow you <laughs> to function. I really want to emphasize that reframing menstrual health starts early. Menstrual symptoms don't occur in a vacuum. The concept of our sixth vital sign emphasizes that our menstrual cycles are the result of our total hormonal ecosystem, which is also tied to our diet, inflammation levels, gut health, and more. I can't overemphasize the power of learning to see our menstrual cycles not simply as a monthly nuisance or burden. And I'm not expecting you to sing Kumbaya every time you get your period. But we can learn to see our menstrual cycles as an indicator of our overall hormonal health, which in turn is a reflection of our overall systemic well-being. If our menstrual cycles are causing us pain, if we're having heavy bleeding, if we have underlying 
gynecologic problems, it's really important to understand those early because each of those problems, that chronic inflammation, the problems associated with PCOS, with endometriosis, can also reflect inflammation that can ultimately lead to other symptoms early or later in our lives. So we can learn to see our menstrual cycles, our monthly cycles, as an indicator of our systemic well-being, a report card of hormonal health, if you will. And we can find more ease in our menstrual cycles by learning to pay attention to the lifestyle changes that are within our control and how they shift how we feel in our menstrual cycles month after month. And again, this is something I address completely in my book, Hormone Intelligence, which I feel is an essential read for all women, which is why I wrote it, and a really wonderful gift for your teenaged or young adult daughter as a companion that she can refer to over her life cycles. Given that we each have about 400 periods in our lifetime, learning how we can influence and support ourselves throughout our menstrual cycles at an early age can set us up for decades of greater health and greater ease, which is something I hope that you realize is within your hands that we shouldn't just accept period pain, which is common as normal anymore. I hope you enjoyed this episode, that it helped you to feel seen and heard, and perhaps that it even brought you some aha moments. Please share the love by sharing this with a friend or someone in your life who could benefit from the kinds of things we talk about in this space. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at dr.avivaram and go to avivaram.com to join the conversation about the show on my blog. While you're there, you can sign up for my free newsletter with tips on taking back your health. Be sure to leave a rating and a review for the podcast and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every week. Can't wait to see you next time. Gonna lift it up, it's got me down.